Well, you, you will know very well that we've been looking at the life and times of Elijah. And to this point, our attention has really fallen in chapters 17 through 19 of 1 Kings. But at this time, I should remind you that 1 Kings is not a book about Elijah per se, but rather covers the early history of the kingdom of Israel and then through the division into the kingdom of the north and also the southern kingdom of Judah. It's a book about God's people and how God has dealt with his people through these days. And thus, as 1 Kings comes to an end in these chapters, we find its focus falling actually upon King Ahab. Chapters 20, 21, and 22 are all about this wicked king. And in particular, his relationship with the word of God, as it comes from the prophets of God. It's like the lens of God zones in and focuses upon one individual. We see the iniquity of the people of God, but now the focus is upon Ahab as a man in front of the word of God. And what will he do with God's word? Our attention today and next Lord's Day will be in 1 Kings chapter 21. Really, this is really one message, but far too long for one, uh, one time around the word. And so over two Lord's Days, we'll consider 1 Kings 21. But I'm not ignoring chapter 20 and chapter 22. But they're not going to draw our attention the same way chapter 21 will because we're looking at Elijah and he's chapter 21. But in chapter 20, I just want to draw your attention to this. We see an unnamed prophet of God. In fact, there may be two. Verse number 13, uh, there came, this is chapter 20, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. A prophet comes with the word of God to Ahab in the encouragement of a deliverance from the Syrians. The same, perhaps, or another prophet comes in verse number 28 and says, And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand." Two Syrian attacks, two deliverances promised. The victory, of course, not being earned by Ahab's righteousness. Far from it. But to show Ahab that no matter how he continues, no matter how far he goes into apostasy, the Lord is God. Verse 28 in the the final part, And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Ahab is confronted with the word of God. He has been already through his reign as Elijah has come to him and said, no reign. Through the times on Carmel, again, God showing himself clearly, Ahab was there as we saw. He's been confronted time and time again by the word of God, God saying to him, I am the Lord. And in essence, your rejection of that truth doesn't change the truth. It's always the case. Men may reject the word of God and the truthfulness of God. Their rejection doesn't change that truth. And so Ahab finds himself in chapter 20 being duped by Ben-Hadad, the king, and compromises on his duty. That's the last part of the chapter. And what follows is a word of judgment. Verse number 42, And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to 
utter destruction. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. The man of God bringing the word of God. And Ahab rejects that word. And the warning of judgment follows. Then over in chapter 22, so skip 21 for now, but over in chapter 22, we find again the attention now falls on the alliance between Jehoshaphat of the southern kingdom and Ahab, king of the northern kingdom. Again, the attention is fallen to the Syrians. And they're attacking again the people of God, and we find a dark spot on Jehoshaphat's life as the southern king enters into a union and a confederacy with the wicked Ahab. And we find a man of God coming upon the scene again. This time the man of God is named, it is Micaiah. Again, he's the one who mentioned in verse number 14, who saw on Wednesday night, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Ahab and Jehoshaphat, well certainly Jehoshaphat, understands there needs to be a word from God. And so Micaiah comes, but Ahab has no time for Micaiah. And again, there's the events of chapter 22 and verse 15 and following, where Micaiah brings the word, and the king is angry. How many times shall I adjure ye? Verse 16, they tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord. Micaiah brings that word of warning to Ahab regarding this event, And Micaiah ends up in prison, verse number 27, fed with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. And Ahab ends up dead. The story of the man drawing the bow at a venture, verse 34. And by chance, smiting the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. You see the point here? We have three chapters highlighting the word of God coming to Ahab and Ahab persisting in his refusal to hear the word of the Lord. Again, our focus is on chapter 21. But I want you to see chapter 21 in light of the bigger picture. The, writing is bring, the writer is bringing this account of this dark history to a close, and he's drawing these three narratives together and presenting Ahab as a king who is resistant to the word of God. And so over these three chapters... Ahab rejects the word of God. That's the point. That's the theme. And so Elijah comes in our chapter in that context. When it says there in verse number 17, and the word of the Lord, this is our chapter 21, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, arise, go down. It's in the setting of Elijah as a prophet of God, bringing the word of God to a stubborn and resistant king. You understand that? The three chapters have the very same thought in all three occurrences. Thus Elijah comes as a bringer of the word of God's justice. He takes the role here of the avenger of God's elect, bringing God's word to bear upon Ahab for his wickedness. Again here I need to pause. What's the point of all of this? Why is this history in our Bibles? Well, the Bible is given to us that we would see Christ Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures in various ways point us to the Savior, particularly in his role as prophet, priest, and king. 
And so when you see the actions of the prophet of God like Elijah, the people of God in reading this account, they're being provoked in their minds, what should we expect of the prophet greater than Moses, greater than Elijah? What does God's prophet do? And at times we find the prophets of God bringing words of grace and comfort to bear upon the people. But it's also the role of the prophet to bring the words of warning from God to those who reject the word of God and will face the final judgment of God. Christ also serves in that role. Again, it's not going to be our focus today, but I would be remiss not to draw your attention to that, that this is given to us, that we understand this is what God's prophet does. And we think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and praise God, that's true. But that's not all he is as the prophet of God. He is the prophet of God, fierce in holiness, thundering words of judgment against those who reject the word of God. You see, turn across, just one example. Turn across to Luke chapter 20. I thought I'd show you just one example in the Gospels where we see Christ functioning in this way. That you'd see him really as the fulfillment of all the prophetic shadows and types. And he comes, of course, to those who are rejecting the word of God. They refuse. Again, the question comes, what is your authority? Verse number two. You, you come and you act in this way. And we saw this in our studies. And look, you're, you're casting out the temple. You're doing this. You're preaching in the gospel. Or you're preaching in the temple. Verse number one of chapter 20. And they say, what's your authority? You're acting like a prophet. But what's your authority? You're teaching and you're casting out iniquity in the temple. You're like a prophet of God, but who told you to do this? And of course, you know the account. The Lord deals with John the Baptist and he says, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. But here's a parable. And the parable ends with the husbandmen killing the heir and the son. Verse number 14 and 15. What therefore, verse 15, shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And the Lord continues, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Here's Christ, the prophet of God, bringing the words of warning of the judgment of God for those who reject his word. I'm very mindful that it's not easy to listen to the word of God preached. I'm mindful that by the help of the Spirit of God, we who are regenerate, we can listen to a sermon preached. We can concentrate. We can give attention and focus, and we can do that by God's grace. But if you're not saved, it is very, very difficult to listen to the Word of God. You don't have the Spirit's God. You don't have the Spirit's help. It's the only way to hear the Word of God. And so very quickly your mind wanders and you find yourself it's 12 o'clock or 10 past 12 and oh, it's almost over and time to go home. So right now I want to tell you, Christ the prophet warns you that if you reject His Word, judgment will fall upon your head. If you hear nothing else today, please hear that word. He is the gracious Savior of sinners. 
but he is the prophet in the room instead of Elijah who comes and brings warnings of judgment to those who will not hear his word. That's the setting here. Ahab refusing the word of God, Elijah coming as the bringer of God's word of judgment, pointing our attention ultimately to Christ, the ultimate avenger of God's elect. And so as we work our way through this this passage and this material, I want to begin by asking you to think about the cause of this word. If Elijah is coming as a messenger of judgment, what is the cause of this word of judgment? The word that comes is a word of God's justice against the wickedness of Ahab. We know that because of the, the, the point we read at the end there, verse number 17 and following, Elijah's going to bring a word to Ahab and says to Ahab, hast thou killed and also taken possession. And so this word comes as an issue of justice. The word of judgment comes because Ahab has persecuted the righteous. And the righteous are suffered affliction due to a righteous stand. And so you'll see in your outline today, the first thing to note in the cause of this word is the stand of a righteous man. We see here Naboth's righteous resolve. Verse 3, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Now, in verse 1 and 2, Ahab sees this vineyard. It is close by his palace and he covets the vineyard. It is not rightfully his, but he desires that which is not his. And again, if I can just warn you, beware covetousness. That's the seed that brings about the sin of Ahab in this passage. It begins with a covetous spirit. And he makes an approach. You could say right now, this is quite reasonable. In terms of how we know Ahab, it's almost decent. I'll pay you for it. Or I'll give you another one. Whatever the case may be, and I'm not going to take it from you without you getting something in return. It's, it's quite reasonable. This vineyard's convenient for me. You can take a different one somewhere else. And I'll pay you for it at the same time. Now, we might read verse number two and think, well, the king is speaking to Naboth. Surely Naboth's going to say, yeah, fine, whatever. But he does not accede to the request doesn't say yes. And I want to suggest to you today that verse number three is not because of a man who is stubborn or unreasonable, but it's a man who's standing in righteousness. First Kings, we get these beautiful glimpses of God preserving his remnant. Obadiah, Elijah, and now Naboth, a righteous man standing in unrighteous days, and we see a flicker of God's preserving grace in times of great apostasy and darkness. That itself is enough to go home on. God keeps his people in dark times. But how do we see this as being a righteous stand? Well, look at the words closely. He says to Ahab, the Lord, stop there. Remember Ahab. He's a compromised apostate king who's following the Baalism of his wife and their family. He's the one who watched Jehovah manifest himself in Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal all being destroyed at the hands of Elijah and yet still persists in seeking to end Elijah's life. To this Ahab, 
Naboth says, the Lord. He acknowledges and speaks to the Lord. No small thing when faced with Ahab's history. Then he speaks in terms of his submission to the Lord. So he speaks to the Lord, and then his submission to the Lord. The Lord forbidden me. The Lord rules in my life at this time. And then in terms, he speaks of his submission to the word of the Lord, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Inheritance was and is a huge issue to the Jew. God had apportioned the land of promise. Now, it was not wrong to sell your inheritance if it was necessary to do so. So if you're in poverty, you find yourself in a strait, there was a time to sell your inheritance and then it returned to the family in the day of the year of Jubilee. That's Leviticus chapter 25. But turn across to Numbers chapter 36. Because whilst there was provision given for permission to sell if required, it was forbidden ordinarily to exchange your inheritance. Simply put, young people, you can't swap your vineyards. That's Numbers chapter 36, in the verse number 7. Again, this is to do with the, the daughters of Zelophehad, and it says there in verse 7, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Then verse 9, Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. And so when Naboth makes the assertion, you will not have the inheritance of my fathers, He's standing upon the principle of the word of God. The family inheritance really, really matters. And so Naboth here, I believe, is taking a principled stand. A man that we can look up to and admire. He's a man that puts the word of God before experience. Forget vineyards. Forget the situation here in particular. But ask yourself, examine your heart again today. Are you a man or a woman of God who is willing to put the word of God before experience? God's word first. No matter how easy it may be to disobey God's word. You see, that is the heart of the child of God. We often think, what does God do in our hearts when we're saved by his grace? Well, he gives us faith in Christ. We know that. Through the new birth, we see and enter the kingdom. We, we desire to, uh, to follow Christ Jesus. We, we want to worship him. We want to be his child. We want to have that faith in Christ all by the rebirth. But that newborn heart gives us a submission to the word of God. And a, an understanding that God's word will come first. But due, due to remaining sin, there's a a conflict at times in our souls. That with a new heart, we want God's word to come first, but due to sin that remains, we find ourselves at times face a temptation and a challenge. Will God's word come first? Or will I take the pathway of least resistance? Temptation has often come, comes to us in such a way that it's easier to 
or by the temptation that is to follow the word of God. You see, consider the temptations that Naboth must have faced in this decision. I like to imagine sometimes the conversation that he must have with his wife. We don't know about her here. She may well have been a very uh, tremendous godly woman and she may have helped him in this decision. We don't know. But just imagine the conversation. The king has come to me. He wants her vineyard and he's offered to pay for it. What should we do? The temptation of financial increase. Surely there's a temptation to compromise here. To disobey God's word for some sort of monetary gain. The temptation to fear man more than to fear God. It's no light thing to contest the will of Ahab. Yet God and his word comes first for Naboth, no matter the seeming folly of that stand. Why are you taking such a big stand about this vineyard, Naboth? Why? Because God's word comes first. I want to pause here just for a few moments and ask you, older believer, do you still have the resolution to submit to God's will no matter the cost? Is God's word still first in every decision you make? Does your relationship with the Lord govern every choice? Are you living in the fear of God? We're studying this on Wednesday evenings. Are you living in the fear and in the face of God so that God governs every single decision you make? You see, I think, and I think I'm right in this, that with advancing years and longevity in the things of God, there is a temptation to compromise and to rationalize. When we're first converted, we're very bold often. We're determined to do what's right no matter the cost. But over time, we live in this world and things that are black and white become gray. And we have the temptation to compromise in our walk with God. And so this morning, when I was thinking about Naboth, I thought, I need to stop here for a few minutes and bring you back to first principles. Does God's word still govern your life in all that you do? Think in the simplest of terms. Think in Ten Commandments terms. The first four commandments, worshiping God. Does that govern your life? Does every other decision come under that obligation to worship God? God alone, not this world. God in the way that he commands, not in our wills. Holding God's name in reverence. Holding God's day as holy and sacrosanct and untouchable. Are these things governing our decisions? They won't compromise on the right and the left. Because when the temptation comes to do this or that, the other thing, we say, no! God first. His worship first. No matter the benefit I may receive financially or in popularity, God's will comes first and he demands that he's worshipped publicly and privately. The worship of God. Think of the second table, the last six. The world in which we live. Does God's will govern again the decisions we make in our lives? Regarding family life. The roles of husbands and wives. 
the judge of children, is it the case that no matter how difficult it might be, I'm going to be a faithful husband, a faithful wife. I'm going to be dutiful as children under the authority of my parents. I'm going to do these things because God's will comes first, no matter what. The temptation comes. An invitation to lunch with an old friend. What harm in that? No, my marriage matters so much to me. Not going to sacrifice my marriage for something of experience that brings pleasure to my flesh. No, I'm going to guard my marriage. When it comes again, there are children. Our children decide not to follow the will of God. As for me and my house, we must serve the Lord. An understanding of the fifth commandment is the obligation of Christian parents to lead their homes in the things of God, no matter how much the children contest that and protest against that. This is God's will for our lives. I'm going back to first principles, the very basics. That the neighbor spirit that must govern our lives, no matter what happens, no matter how difficult it is, God's word comes first. I'm not going to steal from my employer. I'm going to guard my work time. I'm going to be honest with my finances. Upright men and women of integrity. I'm not going to be clever with truth, duplicitive manipulating truth in such a way to get my advances. No, I'm going to govern the Word of God. It's going to govern my mind. It's going to come first in all of these things. Not coveting. Not hating a brother that cause. All of these things, God's Word coming first in our minds. Is that your resolution still today, dear older believer? If I preached this five years ago, you say, amen, preacher, preach it. But now you find yourself sitting uncomfortably. A subtle change in your mindset, perhaps. Yeah, folks, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm just, I'm preaching generalities because I know my own heart and I know the tendency of my own spirit that these things can come. Little by little, you go cold. And the Word of God is less important in your life than it once was. Will you resolve today? No matter what the cost, I'm going to follow the Lord's Word. Our young person here today, will you make this your life's vow? Will you resolve today that no matter how difficult it might be in your life in the coming days, I'm going to do God's word no matter the cost. No matter how easy it may be to do my own will, I'm going to do God's word, God's word first. Oh yeah, I can't do it in my own strength. It's only by the Spirit of God I understand that. But by the Spirit of God, I am going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Is that your desire today? As a preacher, I'm not so sure. Well, well, let me ask you a question. If not, why not? Do you doubt that God's word is good and wise? You wonder to yourself, well, I, I'm not so sure if I follow God's word. I'm not sure it's the best path in life. Well, there are people here who will testify to the opposite. And the word of God says in its own self, it is the good and perfect will of God. Are you wondering, will God be faithful? Naboth died. If I put God first, will my life be lost? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God is faithful. And though your body may be put into a grave, having been martyred for the gospel's sake, God is faithful to your everlasting soul. You wonder to yourself, 
Will God enable me to keep these resolutions? If I make a resolution today, if I stand in this place and say, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus, will God enable me to keep this? Oh, yes, always yes. Amen, yes. He begins that good work, will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. I understand the doubts and the questions and the concerns. If I resolve to follow Jesus today, what if I get all that but just follow Christ? And leave the what is to God. He is good and faithful. I, I know I've taken a long time to pause here, but it just struck me this morning. The language, the Lord forbid it. Whatever temptation comes our pathway, God's word's going to come first. That's the stand of a righteous man. Secondly, please note the suffering of a righteous man, just briefly. You know the story. We've read the story together today. And I said already, the end of this story is that Naboth dies. Verse 13, he is carried out of the city and stoned with stones that he dies. Who are the guilty parties in this? Who are guilty of the murder of Naboth? Well, first and foremost, Ahab is. And yet he doesn't pick up a stone. He doesn't write a letter. None of those things. He just huffs. He's like a two-year-old. He didn't get the teddy bear done for Christmas. And they go in a huff. Puts his face to the wall. Doesn't eat bread. But that's not the issue. That is the issue of his heart. But he resigns his headship. You see, when it says later on in the chapter, we read the verse already, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? Verse number 19. The Lord assigns responsibility to Ahab. And what's he done? He has resigned his headship as husband and as king. As the upholder of the law of God. Uh, we understand that people are responsible for their own iniquity. But there are headship concepts in the word of God that those who have responsibility are held responsible for the sins of those under their oversight and under their authority. Those who teach the word of God in the church will come under stricter judgment. Responsibility of the overseer, the kings of a nation, the governors of a nation will be held responsible for promoting wickedness in the nation. God will not be blind to that. Husbands, You're to lead your families. You're to lead your wives. You're responsible for their actions to some degree. Ahab's a guilty party here. So is Jezebel, of course. She behaves according to character. We've got to know her a little bit by now, and we see her anger and how quickly she is going to do her own will. You see the plot she has here. Jezebel says to him, Why are you so grumpy? You don't eat any bread. What's wrong with you today? And he tells her the story. I spoke to Naboth, verse number six. I want the vineyard. And Jezebel says to him, Dost thou not, or dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? You know, the temptation here is Ahab, it's time for you to abuse your authority. That's the, that's the temptation here. She comes to him and says, Ahab, you've got this authority. It's about time you used it or abused it. Again, power corrupts. 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. The will of God ought to restrain wickedness here. You see, even though nations, they're not theocracies like Israel was here, still governments should be restrained by the word of God. Governments should not abuse their power to achieve their personal aims, doing injury to the will of God. That's simple. This is not about various thoughts of church and state relationships. It is the fact that all of humanity are under the word of God. And just because you're a governor or a king does not allow you to disobey the word of God. Your authority and your power does not give you a free pass when it comes to God's will. That's true for every nation. Not just this nation. The violation of God's will with regards to marriage and the sanctity of life will be held against the account of the rulers of this nation. They should know that and repent of their sin. You understand that? They're not going to hear this message likely. But we should pray for it. That the law of God will come to their minds and they'd realize they're just Jezebels, abusing their power to bring about their own ends. And it is wicked. And God will judge it. The Jezreelites are also accountable here. And they go along with the plot. Jezebel writes a letter, sends it to the men with his plot to unjustly, in a religious guise, note that the fast is proclaimed here, in a guise of religious integrity, they're going to bring about a false trial and stone Naboth as a blasphemer of God. It's wicked. We don't know how many of them knew about the plot. But even those who may not have known about the plot would have known about the integrity of Naboth, I believe. This whole company are against the will of God. They're compliant in the false trial and the unjust subsequent punishment. This is an example, by the way, of a time when people should disobey the governing authorities. They were told to do something in the name of the king. The letter is written in the king's name, and they should have said no. I say that without any equivocation. It was a time to disobey the governing authorities. Somebody said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. We have a responsibility, folks. Again, I know we have different views regarding the relationship of church and state. I understand that. But I believe the church is to be God's voice in the land. We have a duty to say, thus saith the Lord to everyone here. You have a responsibility to write to your congressmen and your senators and say, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. To bring the word of God to their bear. And then it's up to them whether they reject or accept it. But it is our responsibility that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, that we may shine as lights in the world, that we will say to our governing authorities, this is not in my name. You're not doing in my name. You're, you're, you're following a path of iniquity, but it's not in my name. I'm a servant of God, child of the king, and his will comes first. Naboth, he loses life, because the righteous will suffer for righteousness' sake. 
Peter says that, Beloved, think it not strange about the fiery trial, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Christ himself said, Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted falsely for my name's sake. These things happen to the children of God. We know that. The Lord suffers such and succors those who are so tried. And the Lord will avenge his children. Next Lord's Day, we'll begin with a question. God does intervene, but only after Naboth is dead. Why not sooner? Now we'll see that next week. But let me encourage you for now. God will avenge his elect. Even the martyrs in Revelation, they cry out, How long, O Lord? Will they not avenge? Elijah's coming here as a prophet of God in the room or as a type of Christ Jesus who will come and indeed avenge his people. As he down in verse number 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab. God is not blind to Ahab's wickedness. He is not ignorant of his devices and he will bring judgment upon the works of this ungodly man. That's the start of this chapter. The cause of this word of judgment comes because righteous man, Naboth, suffers for a righteous stand. Please, note verse 18. Arise. God sees it all. And God will indeed do what is right for the sake of Naboth. Let's bow together, please, in prayer. We'll come back to this next Lord's Day. And look at the word that comes and the consequences from that word. My burden today, certainly I trust you feel the burden of my heart today, it is that we'd all resolve to have a Naboth-like spirit to do the God's will no matter what that may cost us. Eternal God, we come to thee, we pray in Christ's name, for the help of the Spirit of God, that if today there are some in this gathering and they, they would resolve in their souls confessing their backsliding and resolving their souls to follow after the Lord fully. Give them the grace to do that today. We pray for those outside the kingdom. May they see the wisdom of doing the will of God, of trusting in Christ and following him fully. O Lord, use your word, we pray today. May we not be like Ahab, confronted with the word of God and yet persistently rejecting that word. Lord, help us to hear the word afresh today and to put into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.